0: Hey, the start of something special right here, man. Let's go.
1: Number one fantasy player right here. Got past the line. Shut up. Know the rules. I just want to say this to you. Right now, best in the game.
0: I know. Welcome everyone to the Pot After Touchdown Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Mackins. Joined by my co-host, Sam Hoppen, How are you, Sam? What
1: is up? We are back. Oh, this is like a radio show now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm excited. I released our first four episodes last week over the holiday weekend, and now we're back into our regular groove. Yeah, we've also got our
0: producer back. If you didn't realize on our fourth episode, he was absent. <laughs> we we uh, were able to go without him, so... Gone but
2: not forgotten. <laughs> To be fair, I haven't have had a mic until this point, so I've kind of been a ghost up until now, but you know.
0: Well, hopefully now that you do have a mic, we'll hear a little bit more from you as we go along and uh, hear I, your I, takes.
1: Hold the phone real quick. I Before we get too deep into the weeds, I just like to recognize today and wish you both a Happy Jeff Fisher Day. It is July 9th, <laughs> 7-9, so Happy Jeff Fisher Day. I know he's, God damn it. we're, we're ah. a big fan of his, and I just want to, you know, I, I'm glad to be able to celebrate the day with you.
0: Thank you, Sam. I appreciate that. You know, as Jeff Fisher, as a Titans coach, has a special place in my heart, and now he's got a Twitter account, so he's relevant again, and he's great with gifts. <laughs> uh so now we're as far as an agenda for this episode we're going to start with our kickoff question as always and this episode is really going to be centered around off-season moves that matter maybe some of them don't matter well that's what we're going to get into uh we're also going to start a new segment in the middle as well so without further ado let's get into our kickoff question and this game is underway So our kickoff question is, if you could make a Monday night football announcing crew, two in the booth and one on the field of people not in broadcasting already, who would you choose?
1: So this one was actually pretty easy for me. So the two people that I'm going to have in the booth are Mina Kimes, who does her own podcast. She writes for ESPN, a lot of great feature length articles, Uh, one of my favorite NFL personalities she's she's funny she's great and I, I love listening to her on a weekly basis and I'm gonna pair her with Pat McAfee obviously he had a little experience last year at the, the shitty game that I was actually at in the Lions versus Packers <laughs> game in the freezing cold and Electric. that was sort of his, his first intro into broadcasting and he absolutely did phenomenal he's actually been on Mina Kimes show or her, excuse me, her podcast before, so they already have a bit of rapport there. So I think you know having Mina Khan as the play-by-play, she's got a lot to offer as far as insights and things like that. And then having Pat do the color commentary and making sure that everything is just super exciting. And then on the field, I'm just going to throw it to Peyton Manning. I think this guy is witty. All these commercials that he do oh, does. God nationwide is on your side. I think I he's just really funny, like a great character, and to get to see him on the field screaming at players I think would be absolutely hilarious.
0: I like that combo of Mina and McAfee. If you haven't seen his Eminem. commentary <laughs> if you haven't seen his commentary from that Lions Packers game, you can look it up and they have like literally a five minute highlight reel. Of all of his great calls from that game
1: he's a man who's a legend he's kicked long balls he's kicked game winners and here in lambeau in december gives a cadence with the leg lift like peyton manning no laces and delivers a dime in the corner of the end zone uh
0: so now i'm gonna go through my crew and as usual i've taken a hard left turn compared to <laughs> what you've picked what a surprise uh, So my first question is, are we allowed to choose people that are dead or this has to be like potentially real? (laughs) I mean, I I went with people that are all alive. Okay, so I'll keep it to alive. But if we could pick dead people, I would have Chris Farley as a color commentator. Oh, okay, okay. That's that's Uh, a a good pick. Chris Farley, rest in peace. But, you know, based on the few ones that I have on my my little post-it note here, I would, my play by play would be Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> okay. Because I can okay. just see him. He's the one guy with some football knowledge on this list that can okay. add some excitement along with actual football knowledge. So he would know certain plays or certain terminology that would sound natural in a play by play sense. Okay. Then for my color commentary, I will pick a different comedian that is alive, and that's Jim Carrey. So Jim Carrey is an electric guy. Interesting. He. Well, he's Canadian, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe he doesn't Boy. know as much about the NFL, but he might know about the Grey Cup and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Yeah,
1: it's interesting you went with a comedian. I was actually thinking about doing Aziz Ansari, one of my favorite comedians, as my on-the-field guy. Just to yeah. just see him be like, what is going on? Oh, my God. <laughs> this yeah. is insane.
0: Well, that's funny because when I thought of Jim Carrey, I think about – one of his scenes from Ace Ventura where he's like let's play that back in slow motion and then he goes <laughs> like <"Ugh."
2: laughs>
0: so i thought about him him being able to you know add some real color to uh what's going on on the field and then my sideline reporter is way out of left field so this is more for like the music fans out there and you might you might have to do some film study on this guy but his name is Nardwar he does interviews with musical artists and the crazy thing about his interviews is that like he knows shit about these guys that he thinks only like or the artist the musical artist only thinks their best friends know so ask him a question or give him a gift and they freak the fuck out because they're <laughs> like what the hell just happened i saw one interview i think he was interviewing lil uzi vert and he just ran away from the interview because he was so creeped <laughs> out so i thought of him or like triumph the insult dog <laughs> which is like the little <laughs> puppet that just gives people okay. shit uh, so, you know that combination just complete chaos. Yeah. Football. So
1: you basically just went with a smorgasbord of people that you would like to hear from. That you really didn't take chemistry into account with any of this. Oh stuff. yeah, no, there's no chemistry.
0: <laughs> but like, I think I was as I was writing these. I'm I like, mean, it this is going to be, be a much wild worse take. than
1: Jason Witten.
0: <laughs> yeah. What that could not be worse than Witten. Plus, I was like, this is already second fiddle to Sunday night football, where you've got a, a perfect trio there, so. That is a perfect trio? I, I mean, I like Collinsworth a lot, and Al Michaels, obviously, who's on the sideline. We can't... Well, Bob Costas. Well, Michelle
1: Michelle Tafoya is on the sideline. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with Michelle Tefoya. Well, yeah, but Chris Collinsworth is who I'm rolling my eyes at.
0: Yeah, you hate him, but I think he does a great job on Sunday Night Football, like, compared to some of these other color commentators out there. Uh, But in any case, it could not get much worse. The games could not get much worse, because they don't have flex scheduling like Sunday Night Football has. Let's just throw absolute chaos into Monday Night Football. (laughs) All right.
1: I, I like the way you went with that. I think... I'm actually going to make a last minute substitute and actually put Aziz Ansari on the field and be like, what is going on? Did you see that? Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's like, back to you. <laughs> back to you, Mina.
2: Perfect. Perfect. All right. So, All right, hold on. I want to add one thing, too. After we put this out on Twitter, I want you guys to come out with a new trio of fictional characters or like TV ooh. show movies. And you can't something use like Todd
0: Haverford because that's the same <laughs> Yes. <person.
2: laughs> ooh. Yeah, know. so I want to see who you guys would have for fictional characters. Like, I think Ace Ventura has taken too, since you have yeah, Jim yeah. Carrey, true, so you true, can't true. have him. All right,
1: so why don't we put this to a poll then? We'll do a Twitter, Twitter poll, poll to first. see who had the better Monday Night Football crew,
0: and then we'll do a second one of fictional characters with the either on a different episode or on a different poll. Okay. Okay. I'm sweet. Kick your ass. Book. Bookmark that for later, Garner. So. Now we're going to get into a new segment before we jump into off-season moves that we think are important. And that is our irrelevant slash relevant news story of the week.
1: Yeah, so this is just a way to keep you guys on your toes. Make sure you're paying attention to some of the little tidbits and anecdotes coming out of training camp and the preseason things like that we'll do this throughout the year as well but our first is going to be one that will likely have a lot of people hyped and this is our irrelevant headline of the week which is tom brady rob gronkowski throw during private workout at ucla campus like come on like (laughs) what what is going on here like i don't understand why this is happening.
0: There's so many Patriots bandwagon fans out there that just want to see him come back because they're scared that Matt LaCosse is just going to shit the bed every week. And there are people out there that will take a flyer on Gronk because he's going to come back. But as we've said with other types of players you put on your roster, you're going to drop them after four weeks because you want to pick up that hot
1: waiver wire app. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you saw the picture of him a couple of days ago, but he has lost like significant muscle in the past couple of months because okay. he's retired. Like he,
0: so he looks relevant, more like a
1: wide receiver than a tight end.
0: That's relevant. Fight. Like the same way that like Joe Thomas would never come back because yeah. he's lost so much weight. Like it's such a crazy diet and exercise regimen you have to be on when you're in the NFL. Once you lose all that weight, why would you put yourself through putting it all back on?
1: Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to our relevant – headline of the week, which I believe you're going to share with us. Yeah,
0: so I heard this one a couple times. I'll give a credit to the Ball Blast podcast for reminding me about it. So it's a little bit older. It's from June 23rd. So you might all be woke to this already, but Sam didn't know this when I brought it up. So (laughs) that means there's some merit to it for you listeners out there. And this is very speculative as well, which I think it's good that we think of these speculative stories and then decide whether they're relevant or irrelevant Uh, but NBC Sports Matt Maiacho probably butchered that last name believes that one of Tevin Coleman, Jarek McKinnon, or Matt Breida will be a healthy scratch in the regular season so to put some context around this their fourth running back Raheem Mostert is a special teams lock for their roster which means they always have to have him in the lineup and he would be the RB3 on the 49ers roster for every game along with going out on special teams plays. So then between those other three guys, you know, Tevin Coleman going to start every week unless he gets hurt, and then between McKinnon and Brita, you're going to have in my mind, I think that's why it's relevant is between McKinnon and Brita, you're going to have that healthy scratch unless, you know, Tevin Coleman is has a tweaked ankle, better to put the other two guys out that are 100% so it makes me more worried about this backfield. It makes me it, when we talk about what backfields would you want to secure in your draft, I wouldn't want to secure any two of these. I would just bet on Coleman or one of the other two if they fall super far. But I don't like you know the second or third guy very much at all anymore because I think they're more likely to be healthy scratches and you're going to have a guy week to week on your roster that might not even play. So you don't know anything about how they're going to perform week to week. You need yeah. to see like consistent week to week production to feel confidence to put them in your lineup. And if they're taking if they're trading weeks, it's like, well, this is the McKinnon week zero and then next week decent points, next week zero cuz he's a healthy scratch. How do you know when to start him?
1: Yeah, so when you first read that headline, I immediately rule out Tevin Coleman from that. Like, unless he has some nagging injury, like he is the healthiest one right now. So yeah. I think it's it's between McKinnon and Breida to start. I think, you know, maybe it's a scenario where the first couple of weeks, McKinnon is just a healthy scratch because he's still coming back from the ACL stuff. Or, you know, Breida tweaks an ankle and they're going to be a little bit more cautious with him coming back because he does have a lot of injury history. So, because they have so many options there, they maybe just, like, make them a healthy scratch when, if they only had two running backs, they would try and push him out there. I don't, I don't know that this is a total reason to avoid McKinnon or Breida. Again, I, you want to find value with them, but I'm still looking towards Breida because he's the cheaper of the two, mm. and I think he's just got a better shot having gone through the 49er system for the past couple of years.
0: Yeah, I mean in double digit rounds, any dart throws worth taking. I definitely would still draft Coleman at his ADP, but I'm a little more nervous about the other guys because I can't get that week after week uh, data or data on how, how those backup guys are gonna perform and be confident in starting them in the future. So let's move on to the meat of this episode, the off-season moves that we think matter. We've got three different categories for these. And so this could be a player in the NFL who is on a new team this year. It could be a rookie that was drafted into a particular team, so it's their first foray into the NFL. Or it could be a coach that has a new role uh, either on the same team or on a new team. And Sam, I'll let you start uh, with our list here.
1: Yeah, so my first one is one that we actually briefly mentioned in our quarterbacks episode. And this is the move of Dirk Cutter going back to Atlanta as the offensive coordinator. So again, there's been this narrative the past several years that Matt Ryan struggles performance-wise in the first year under a new offensive coordinator and then goes off in the second year because it, he, it gives him time to acclimate to the system learn the play calling all that sort of stuff now Dirk cutter was the offensive coordinator from 2012 through 2014 and matt ryan had some of his best years back then statistically and if you look at the passing percentage year by year it was percent in 2012 which was seventh in the league 68.7 in 2013 which was number one in the league and 64.1 percent in 2014 which is third in the league so clearly cutter likes to throw i mean he showed that he wanted to throw a lot in tampa bay last year when he was the head coach so i i wonder how much of this impacts your thought on matt ryan or potentially on Devonte freeman i mean back when cutter was the head or excuse me the the offensive coordinator those years ago they had michael turner and stephen jackson on those teams so it's not like they had slouches at running back which caused them to have to throw a lot but Devonte freeman's going to be back healthy and he's also good at catching so maybe that helps him a little bit but I I wonder if Cutter's going to go back to the heavy, I mean, I I would expect heavier passing from the Falcons as opposed to, you know, being run heavy. But I I think now that he's got that weapon in Devontae Freeman and and Ito Smith, I think there might be a, a bit more balance than maybe we've seen in the past.
0: Yeah, I I really like this because of that narrative where at at this point, yes, it's the new OC, their first year, but it's reuniting the two. So you have a lot of opportunity in this offense. I think that, you know, we mentioned some of these things before. A lot of games on turf, 13 forums, which is going to help a team that's used to being fast stay fast. You have both Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley who's emerging in this offense. So a lot of talent available to catch passes from... I, yeah, I think they're good. Okay, uh, cool. And then I think this is a reason to... Again, more reason to buy into Austin Hooper as a sleeper as well. I think I mentioned before, you can't directly compare him to the talent of Tony Gonzalez, but if they're going to be throwing, Hooper can catch the football. I yeah, <laughs> it, I,
1: I, I haven't looked at the splits, but it'd be interesting to see, you know, what the target share for Tony Gonzalez back then was. I mean, obviously... Tampa Bay had Cameron Bray and OJ Howard the past couple years and they've done pretty good on on a Mm game-to-game basis when they're healthy so I don't know it'll be interesting to see how he puts them in but again I think a good overall good thing for the Falcons offense bringing in someone who they're familiar with and has experience with a lot of people on that offense. So
0: they really just had some bad defensive luck last year. And I think this team is still in its Super Bowl window because they kept a lot of talent around. So a lot of positive things there. So the one I'm going to start with, probably not as exciting, not as as much of an electric offense yet, but they do have Josh Allen at quarterback. And a lot of people are projecting big things for him. A lot of that is from rushing, but he's also... A great deep ball passer. He's got cannon of an arm. and Looks great in shorts. Yeah, also looks great in shorts. So what that leaves me with is these off-season moves of adding more weapons at the receiver group and trying to decipher what does that mean for those the players at that position. They signed John Brown, who has always been known as a deep threat, both uh, as a member of the Cardinals and the Ravens. And they also signed Cole Beasley to fill that slot role. So a guy that Josh Allen, you know, all things considered, should be able to dump off a short throw and not fuck it up too much because those shorter throws should be higher percentage. So it's more weapons for Allen. Zay Jones and Robert Foster are still both there. Robert Foster showed some flashes this last year as a deep threat. And even Zay Jones, who has been in the league for a while and kind of disappointed based on his uh, where he was drafted in the NFL draft. It has started to show some flashes there as well, just based on a couple of games last season. All of these guys have super late average draft positions. So my question to you, Sam, is There's if we see or if we expect Josh Allen to have a bump in his stats and his production, is there any one or even two wide receivers that you would be willing to invest in For their upside in the Bills offense.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting because I'm looking at the ADP right now. John Brown is the only one who's even being drafted and he's getting taken in the 16th round. Now, if it's me, I'm taking Robert Foster ahead of John Brown because one, he's been on the team for an extra year. He Mm -hmm. has a bit of a rapport with Josh Allen. He did very well in the back half of the season in 2018 when Josh Allen came back from his injury and and John Brown has some injury history of him of his own. And I just think the fact that again he's already there. Like John Brown's coming into a new system from a Baltimore system which was completely different. I just think again, if I'm taking a shot on one of those guys, it's gonna be Robert Foster. I think best ball is the place to really target these guys i mean maybe you want to target getting john brown and robert foster if you're doing a best ball draft in like the 16th and 17th round mm-hmm. because in any one given week like one of those guys could get a 70 yard touchdown from josh allen and that's that's going to be great for your team so in draft, i'm not looking their way really at all unless something crazy happens there's
0: just more proven commodities
1: yeah. in the league so i agree with that uh I
0: think to make this more relevant, because I guess we're saying based on that you would draft Robert Foster first, maybe these signings aren't relevant, but now we know there are more options for Allen. Yeah. So the way to make this relevant is keep an eye on these guys in the preseason, see if there's any signs of chemistry there, and maybe in the first couple of weeks, one of these guys flash, and they could be an early uh,
1: waiver add for your team. Sure. So my next one is actually going to be another wide receiver move. And that's Tyrell Williams going from the Los Angeles Chargers over to the Oakland Raiders. Now, obviously, all the spotlight on the Oakland Raiders is on Antonio Brown, Josh Jacobs, John Gruden, and all of his antics. They are the shiny new toys in the offense. They are going to... Warrant a lot of the target share and rushing production for the team but I think Tyra Williams can provide some value similar to again, maybe Robert Foster or John Brown Like we were talking about a minute ago can provide some value late in drafts. He's currently Getting drafted at the end of the 14th round. So again, one of those guys where you can literally just It's no cost to you whatsoever to get him and he's the wide, He's the second receiver on the on the offense. Jared Cook isn't there anymore. It's like Darren Waller or something like that mm, who's the like tight him, end. But but Tyro Williams has shown that he's been able to produce. He put up a 1,000-yard season with seven touchdowns back in 2016 when Keenan Allen got hurt and Derek Carr has one of the best deep balls in the game. That's what mm-hmm. Tyrell Williams is often known for, is his ability to stretch the field and all that sort of stuff. So I, I'm i more leaning towards, again, even taking that stab at Tyrell Williams in the 12th round if I have a couple of safer wide receivers. That way I've got Tyrell, Tyrell Williams to throw into my flex in any given week or uses a bi-week fill-on on the hope that, again, he catches one of those long touchdown passes from Carr. Yeah, and he really is, as of now, maybe Josh
0: Jacobs is this person, which I know you like as well, but the number two receiving option on the offense, so he's not as buried on the depth chart as he was in uh, Los Angeles, I was going to say San San Diego, Diego. (laughs) Uh, and he's got a couple revenge games in there since that was a signing within the division, so that's always something you can uh, use to rationalize starting him in your lineup. Okay, so I'm gonna move on to my next move, and we're gonna pivot from wide receivers to running backs. Running back? There is a entirely new backfield in Philadelphia. There are some players obviously still there on the team, but uh, they traded for Jordan Howard from the Bears. They spent a fifth round pick to acquire him. Then they drafted Miles Sanders and used their own second round draft pick to acquire him, so It really seems like they're still trying to figure out the position and they're kind of throwing a bunch of different pieces of talent at the wall and trying to find what sticks. The guys that are still there are Josh Adams and Corey Clement, is it Clement or Clement? I should know this because he's from Wisconsin, but Corey Clement, he's still there. I even saw a rumor that Darren Sproles may return. How's that for an irrelevant news line or (laughs) headline? But really, you know, drafting any of these guys is a gamble at this point. I think even more so than the Ravens or the 49ers. You could argue that, you know, Josh Adams and Corey Clement didn't... Clement? Fuck. Clement? Clement. 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 Corey Clement and Josh Adams didn't do enough to secure their position last year. So now maybe it is between Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders and they're going to still run this committee. But I think, personally, this is relevant and that there's so many people there now that it's gonna be way too hard to figure out. I think the offense is gonna rely on Wentz's arm and lead them to success. I saw uh, someone on Twitter created a chart, sorry I'm not crediting you, that the lead back last year received less than 50% of the touches in that system, so they're just spreading it everywhere. And it's not a great investment unless you really like the
1: upside there or if you're an Eagles fan, honestly. So here's a fun little tidbit about eagles running backs so in the three years that doug peterson has been play calling for the eagles so that's been three seasons a running back has recorded a 100 yard rushing game only three times that's three times that's one rushing one time per year that an eagles running back is getting over 100 yards like it's ridiculous, and ah, I, there are no, so there are some people <laughs> there are some people who think Miles Sanders is going to change all that, and you know some people thought that Jordan Howard was going to change all that before they drafted Sanders, and you know <laughs> yeah. it, it was interesting because I was reading or excuse me I was listening to uh, JJ Zacharyson my uh, my new, new boss. Bo- my, my new boss over at Number NumberFire <laughs> uh, his podcast earlier today and he was talking about breakout candidates and actually mentioned Miles Sanders because he's in. One of these more ambiguous backfields and he's going a little bit later but he could eventually provide this rb1 or or high rb2 value Mm -hmm. but again it's the eagles like they they just spread the ball so often like again you mentioned it can't carson wentz i think we both expect to have a huge year passing the ball so that could eventually take away some touches so Again, it, it's a prices right. Like maybe, yeah. maybe if it's the sixth round and I'm going like a zero RB, then maybe I try and get Miles Sanders because he's one of those guys that could turn into the top running back on that team. I would but, say heavy maybe on that because
0: if you want to clarify zero RB, does that mean he's your first running back you're drafting? He's going like quarterback, tight end, three wide receivers. I mean, six rounds where you draft your first running back. He might not be my I would first, but maybe my, my second. one, but potentially second if yeah. you're going on like the long, the, playing the long game with right. running back. Then yeah, I, I could see him coming into
1: a bigger role down the line for sure. So now I'm going to take us again from one backfield to another, and this move is it's not real, it's not anyone changing teams, but it's an off-season move that I think matters, it's Adrian Peterson re-signing with the Washington Redskins. He rushed for over a 1,000 yards in 2018 and (laughs) says he wants to run for 2,000 in 2019, which God knows is not going to happen. Like, he did that in his... (laughs) Freaking amazing year! It's not gonna happen. That's in more unreal than okay. Quick prop bet.
0: Who's what's more likely? Amari Cooper, two thousand receiving Amari us? Cooper. Like yes. it's not
1: even close. Okay. But anyway, I'm just yeah. <laughs> he he's coming back, but Geist is coming back. Maybe healthy. Like he he tore his ACL back in the preseason last year, but he's had some setbacks. Like his leg got infected. So did Alex Smith. So yeah. I don't know what the hell is going on with the doctors in our nation's capital. Makes me a little Shut bit down. worried, but per PFF, they, excuse me, that Washington had the 24th ranked run blocking offense in 2018. They, they didn't really make any improvements. They're going to have either a bum case Keenum or a Ricky Dwayne Haskins on our center. I, you know, some people are thinking that, Again, Geis is just going to come in right away and take this role away from Adrian Peterson, be the lead back, but even if that does happen, I'm not going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. Like, Unless he's the 50th running back off the board, maybe, but I don't know if I'm ever going to feel confident putting him mm-hmm. in as anything more than a flex. Maybe a bi-week option, but it, it just doesn't make sense, especially with Adrian Peterson resigning and having that even slight potential to take touches away from us. Right, guys. so it's
0: an avoid for both guys. Yeah. Okay. That is surprising. I thought that the Redskins had a better reputation for running, run blocking just because of the wild hogs. But uh, I, I guess the, you know, the rankings don't lie. I put a lot of stock in PFF, So uh, yeah, especially the opportunity for them to cannibalize each other's touches. Me, no likey. So here's a new coach in a new role he's friends with Sean McVay and I think that's how he got this role and his name is Zach Taylor he's going to be the head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals Cincinnati Bengals and the the real question is the Bengals have kind of been this meh offense for years they are the standard they
1: are the standard for mediocrity
0: yes they are they're a very unexciting team but with some exciting players on it which so is a shame. With, like with some real talent on there, can Zach Taylor work the McVeigh magic in Cincy?
1: Can Zach Taylor learn from Marvin's mistakes? Sam? I mean, I think I think that's the more important part, right? I I'm, I don't think Zach Taylor is going to come in and flip this offense around quite like McVeigh did in Los Angeles. I, again, I think there's a bit of a, a lower bar, it should be actually a higher bar for Zach Taylor because he didn't, Marvin Lewis didn't totally torpedo all of these guys' production. Like the team as a whole was kind of shitty, but Joe Mixon has been good the past couple of years. And AJ Green's been phenomenal when he's been healthy. Tyler Boyd broke out last year under mm-hmm. his tutelage. I think there's an interesting stat I read recently. So after a 10 plus yard run, The only running back in the league who was given the ball for a second straight run play more than Joe Mixon was Sonny Michel. Now, in those runs, after the explosive 10-yard run, Mixon averaged two and a half yards per carry and produced a 10% success rate on these runs. That is horrible. He, you know, all other runs he had on the year... He averaged 5.8 yards per carry and a 53% success rate. And that's, that's so it courtesy. Sounds, it sounds
0: like it's a bad idea to run the ball twice in a row after you get a big Yeah, shot I mean, it,
1: like, yes, yeah, sometimes. And it, I know it's frustrating as a fantasy owner when you see a guy break a 25-yard run and they get tackled at the four-yard line and, and then Giovanni Bernard shows up <laughs> in the game and vultures the touchdown. But on a whole, it just makes sense, especially... When it's those empty carries in the you know between the twenties, oh, yeah. like yeah, throw give Gio him a break, give him a break and let him let him catch his breath for a sec. And I just want to give credit that that stat is per Sharp Football Stats, which is a great resource. So I I, I think there's a fairly high bar for Zach Taylor as far as continuing to have the production for mm-hmm. all these Bengals skill players, Andy Dalton excluded. Because again, despite how crappy the Bengals have been the past couple of years, they they've still had some production as for fan, as fantasy players. Mm-hmm. And
0: yeah, I I just came up with this in my in my brain as you were talking. I think this it could be an interesting conversation. You think of Zach Taylor, brand new here. He's got Dalton, AJ Green, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, in in a third wide receiver position, John Ross. No taking that, hear me out, hear me out. I'm just thinking
1: this through. No, not John Ross.
0: Don't interrupt me. The McVeigh offense in Los Angeles showed that you can support three wide receivers. John Ross is trying to reinvent himself. Now I'm saying that could be a, a waiver wire ad down the road if you see the success. Are you more excited about Zach Taylor coming in with that offense in Cincy or Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona coming in with Kyler Murray, David Johnson, Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, Damn. and Andy, Andy Isabella, Isabella slash Hakeem <sighs> Butler. I mean, because AJ Green's so talented that he's still getting drafted in the third round, regardless of what this offense is gonna be.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm avoiding AJ Green more because of the injury history. I don't think it's because of his talent. I've been a huge AJ Green fan. I think he's always been extremely underrated gets drafted in the, the late second early third rounds of drafts year after year and on a per game basis outperforms that but you don't have him the entire year so again when you when i think of draft costs like i'd rather take a stab on Christian Kirk than maybe Tyler Boyd just because i think you know Christian Kirk still has the potential to reach his ceiling i think Tyler Boyd might have already reached his. And while okay. it's it's not that he can't achieve that again. I I just I think there's a better chance of Boyd disappointing from his draft costs than Kirk disappointing on his. I'm I'm taking David Johnson over Joe Mixon because again he's shown with 20 touchdowns in a season that he can be the number one guy in all of fantasy. And again, Joe Mixon You know, there's just a lot of moving parts. Their offensive line isn't great, not that Arizona's is as well. So I'm a bit more excited for the upside of Arizona, kind of like everyone else is. Yeah, because I, I think you're still, you're buying them relatively cheaper and you don't have all of the upside baked into their cost, where I think for the Bengals, you're buying them at pretty much their ceiling for the most part. And... I think there's more opportunity, even though we're expecting good things from Zach Taylor, there's more opportunity for them to disappoint and not perform as well. I think that's all fair, and just for the record, I'm not pounding the table for John Ross.
0: I was thinking of it just from a three-wide receiver getting supported in an in a yeah, okay. offense. But most likely, uh, compared to the that. Cardinals, Bengals are going to bangle. Um, but let's move on to your last offseason move here, so, or
1: lack thereof. Speaking of... Offensive lines that are super shitty. Houston basically (laughs) did nothing this offseason to improve their offensive line. Now, they drafted Titus Howard in the first round this past year. Right after they got sniped by the Eagles, taking Andre Dillard, trading up ahead of them, which I thought was an awesome move. Houston also drafted fellow Green Bay Southwest fighting trojan alum max sharping in the third round which is super cool went to university of northern illinois but uh just a a shameless plug there for my alma mater but (laughs) other than that they, they didn't make any changes they were by far the worst run blocking team they were one of the worst pass blocking teams in 2018 like you you look up from your TV and watching red zone and it's a Deshaun Watson sack or a touchdown. Like it's, there really wasn't any in between PFF actually just released their offensive line rankings for the 2019 season. They are 31st ahead of only the Miami dolphins. Like they're below the Cardinals. They're below all these other shitty teams that we've mentioned. It's just the Miami dolphins who we all know has a putrid team right now so i'm curious if this impacts your opinion on deshaun watson or the running backs now obviously they were able to perform at a fairly high level last year with that ability you know with the lack of ability i guess on the offensive line but what doesn't get talked about a ton is the fact that deshaun watson had to take a freaking bus over to jacksonville midway through the season because his ribs were cracked and his offensive line was so porous that he was getting sacked all the damn time. So who's to say that doesn't happen again and he doesn't get clobbered 20 times by week three and then is out for eight games or something like that. So I I don't know if you know people are just sort of brushing it aside, and I'm I'm not trying to yeah. make a big deal about it, but it's something to take into consideration when you're drafting some of these players. Now Hopkins has been quarterback proof, so I wouldn't well, I wouldn't that's necessarily... not true Brock Osweiler. Okay, well hard it fuck you Brock Osweiler. <laughs> but so I'm not too worried about him, but some of the other position players I might be a little bit cautious on, just as a tiebreaker. I haven't
0: been targeting Foreman at all. That makes me less excited about, like, Lamar Miller in a zero RB strategy. But I know our producer wants to say something, too.
2: (coughs) Well, I was going to bring up Lamar Miller here, and going back to Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard, who would you rather have between those at, like, Miller end of the sixth or... Either the Philly guys and somewhere around the eighth, so the because you're are... going for a workhorse that again, not the best line, but he's getting like 90 no, percent of the touches but I, at I don't, least I don't think compared to his slip back. Who are you taking between Lamar Miller
1: stars? has been a quote unquote workhorse. He's gotten the majority of the carries, but there have been times when Alfred Blue has started to take some of those carries away. I think Deontay Foreman is getting healthier. I think he has one of the better shots to overtake lamar miller and be the the 65 carry guy in that offense so i would lean more towards miles sanders again because i think the eagles offense might be in a position more game script wise too with their defense to be running the ball a little bit more being closer to the goal line not that i don't think houston's offense won't be explosive but Again, their passing offense is so prolific. They don't really include their running backs in the passing game that often. I I, I would I would lean Miles Sanders in that, but it, it's close. It's it's a good it's a good question to ask.
0: Yeah, and I think that's probably part of why people are so excited about Jordan Howard is like because the line for the Eagles is so good. It's got to be. I, I would guess it's in the top ten on PFF. Easily, yeah. So how do you argue with like situation versus well it's kind of a muddled situation in philly versus lamar miller has a decent amount of talent and then it's a shitty situation with the line but the opportunity like you said it's about weighing those factors and then weighing those range of outcomes so if you really think deontay foreman has a chance to take the role from lamar miller then i'd rather go with half a role from one of the eagles backs than a guy who could lose it if you really if you really believe that and that's where we kind of set up these scenarios for you guys, and you have to
1: make the decision yourselves. Ultimately, it it, it is a really tough one. I, Eagles number one ranked offensive line by PFF for what it's worth.
0: Yeah, and Jordan Howard's had thousand yard rushing seasons in the past. Last year's the when in the the Matt Nagy offense kind of struggled because he couldn't catch the football and got phased out. But if he's in an offense where they're going to give him runs in in like a read option, or, yeah, read option. RPO, run-pass option. That's what I was thinking. RPO, RPO, RPO. They might actually hand the ball off to him. They think they're going to pass. He gets some room to run and breaks off some large runs on first and second down. Because most guys are in a committee at this point. So if Jordan Howard is running on first and second down and Miles Sanders is the third down back and it breaks out that way maybe he is the guy to go after
1: yeah it's it's good if you think about it enough your opinion is going to change on every guy yeah let's uh let's get into our last one which you I know are especially excited about as am I oh yeah you're excited to take me down
0: here but this is a coach in a new role and I'm excited about it because of my Titans bias This is the former Titans tight ends coach, Arthur Smith, who is the new offensive coordinator for the Titans. Now, I don't think that this means Delaney Walker or John Smith is going to eat on the offense by any means. And there's still a lot of questions around Marcus Mariota. We've mentioned that when we were talking about Corey Davis in our wide receivers episode. But I think this is a positive for Derrick Henry because you've got this offensive mind in air quotes, Matt LaFleur, he leaves. How do you replicate late season success? Don't change anything. Just pick up that playbook. If you find things that work, adopt them. He has said in interviews that he's not willing to, or he is willing to have an open mind and and he's not uh, afraid to steal a good idea. So I think he is, as this guy who's been on the Titans coaching staff through multiple regimes, a guy who's clearly seen the ups and downs from Mariota, and is gonna be able to work to their strengths as well as Derrick Henry's and the rest of the team's strengths. I think that it's gonna be ground and pound from this tenured coach. And I think that Mike Vrabel as a head coach doesn't strike me as this Cliff Kingsbury or Bruce Arians type where they're gonna try to air it out down the field. I think it's gonna be ground and pound defense which has been improving year over year and evaluating Mariota as a franchise QB. I don't think they're gonna try to make him something he's not in a gunslinger. So I think they're going to feed Henry more than they ever have before, which will lead to numbers that you like for Derrick Henry. And that's largely because Arthur Smith is a very milk toast coach, which is not exciting at all. But the reason it's exciting for Henry is because the coach is not exciting. Are you done? Thank you for uh,
1: coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think the one positive of this is that He's been with the Titans already. It's better for Mariota and that offense as opposed to them bringing in some outsider who's going to totally lift and shift this offense to something completely different. But if if you're looking to the tight ends coach being the new offensive coordinator as your saving grace for drafting Derrick Henry, by all means, go and be that person who drafts him in the third round because I'm not touching him there. I... I think by the end of the year, if you're relying on Arthur Smith, you're gonna have an Arthur fist of (laughs) anger based on your going a
0: different direction with that.
1: (laughs) Based on your draft and taking Derrick Henry. There's people are just way too overhyped about Derrick Henry. I'd rather have Miles Sanders four rounds later than taking Derrick Henry in the third round. It's again, I I don't know. I there's this offense just doesn't excite me. I don't think there's anyone on the Titans that is going to drastically sway a league in one way positively. I think it could sway a league, excuse me, a, maybe a team negatively. Because I, I just don't think these guys are going to return their value. I, I'm i not excited about the offense. Like, what happens if Mariota gets hurt and Ryan Tannehill comes in? Like, that's not that much of a downgrade. But I'm not... Excited about that by any means. Derrick Henry's not going to be catching passes out of the backfield. That's going to be Dion Lewis. And yes, their defense is getting better, so maybe they have some favorable game scripts. But I, I don't know. This is boy. Okay, I'll provide a, a couple
0: counterpoints, me. and then we can move on. And you can think what you want of it. Part of the idea of Arthur Smith is if you just look at him. He is simple. He is not going <laughs> to fuck okay. things up. He's not going to try and do anything crazy with the offense. Hard hitting in, f- in the goal line or in the, the red the zone.
1: Podcast today.
0: Part of the ground and pound also means ground and pound in the ten zone, in the, at the goal line situations. The offensive line rankings, which we said have just come out, we've been citing them a lot. The Titans are ranked fourth in offensive line rankings by PFF. Part of that is because they signed Roger Saffold from the Rams at the guard position, I believe. And I think that that is going to lead to more touchdowns for Derrick Henry. And that touchdown upside is what you have to buy into if you're going to buy into him at his ADP. If you think that he can get the touchdowns across a season, as opposed to four in one game, then I think that's a reason to draft him because those touchdowns potentially can outweigh the points that you're getting or the points you're missing out on from receptions.
1: So the, the red zone stat, I, th- I think, is the important part there because I don't think he's going to get as much of the these empty carries that I've mentioned a couple times. I mean, he'll get some of them, but where he's going to make his bread and butter is in the red zone. Last year, he had the sixth most attempts in the red zone of all running backs and posted a 74% success rate, which was among the league leader so he's got the ability to do that i just think if the titans don't get into an into the red zone and they're playing a good defense on a week then you're sort of shit out of luck and derrick henry's just not going to do that well for you it'll
0: definitely be interesting to see uh <laughs> that probably is a cop-out response but, but, but don't like, forget arthur smith looks simple <laughs> he looks simple i can see how that's not a great argument but you think i just think it's my point being that the offense isn't going to be razzle dazzle; it's going to be ground and pound. It's going to be less than exotic smash mouth. It's so gonna why do be just that? Because it's going to be smash mouth, which means more carries for oh, Henry, yeah, which means more carries ago. in the red zone. No, it's it should be simpler than exotic smash mouth. Just hand him the ball and let him eat. That, so, that's my point. That's my only point. And volume and op- like opportunity and talent. We sh- he's had the flashes of talent. He's going to get more opportunity, I feel, and as opposed to. Dion Lewis, vulturing carries. So that's why I think it's going to be better. So
1: instead of exotic smash mouth, you want the opposite. I want over. smash mouth. I want so Big you, Ten football. So you want, oh, we run the ball. You we want, run the ball. We run the ball. And then you punt the ball. So basically you want oatmeal smash mouth. Is that what I'm hearing? I want to smash my mouth all over some spoonfuls of oatmeal. Oh, this is fun. Arthur
0: Smith, ladies and gentlemen. Arthur Smith, your new offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. We're going to wrap this up now. Hope you guys enjoyed our uh, arguments and our uh, positioning on these offseason moves and what they could mean for the season ahead. Hopefully we provided you some nuggets that will help you make decisions in your drafts. And next week we are going to come with some stats that matter or don't matter, potentially like Arthur Smith might not matter at all, uh, that are going to help you make those decisions as well. Again, you can tweet at us about this episode and our previous episodes at PodAfterTD. After TD. You can reach out to Sam and I and Garner personally at at Sam Hoppen, at Andrew Mackins, at Garnther, respectively. And we will talk to you guys next time.
1: Oh my God, the kick is good! As soon as it leaves your foot, just like a baseball leaving a bat, you know and it's he got such a good bounce you'll take every
2: single yard like that i love jk getting rewarded for that every once in a while you got to have that conversation with your hands though say hey what happened you know i used to do it with my foot when i hit a shrink <laughs> clay thompson
1: did it last night after shooting a three every once in a while you got to talk to your body parts and say hey what the hell just happened right
2: there that should have been a catch he knows it he's got to do it next year and continue to do it the rest of this year